What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. This is Max. This is Joey. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about cerveza, about bourbon, whiskey, wine, chartreuse, even um, scotch. There is a distinction between wine, uh, bourbon, whiskey, scotch. and scotch. There is, and we'll make those distinctions. Joey, what else? What are we, what are, what are we going to be talking about? Tell us the things of life. We're going to be talking about alcohol. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Catholic Church and alcohol. What do we think about it? How do we relate to it? Is it good? Is it bad? Mm. Um, how should we incorporate it into our lives, if yeah. at all? And... Yeah, I think this is something that probably a lot of people are thinking about, so we wanted to do an episode on it. So you may have noticed in our description of this here yeah, platform yeah. that we have sit and stand and discuss these matters. You notice a little bit of a different setup. We're standing. This is a big deal, and and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into this. <laughs> are you sure you didn't? I really I, wanted to I get into this. I think you did. Yeah, but we are current. We have just changed our studio to have a standing desk now. We'll see how and, permanent it is. Okay, you're making just, it seem like it's like yeah. and just I mean I'm pretty comfortable right now. It's so am I a lot actually. of freedom. Yeah, and I just want to. I mean, I, if Sam, if you're listening to this too, I just want you to to know what's going on. Sorry, bro. That we're standing. We're hey, recording this episode. I will say there's some freedom here. Do some jumping jacks. I know. <laughs> you know some like boxing moves. You know, if I really wanted to work out, I could get a full get a kettlebell in here and, and we're couple, chilling. Get a couple push-ups. Going get a couple push-ups. Yeah. So no longer confined to the prison of a chair. That's right. But it does. Yeah, this is, this is, I actually do like it. Now, that being said, the setup isn't solid. So if one of us like falls backwards, it's probably because the table we're using <laughs> fell on us, right? This, this table is set on top of like four or five stacked up tables. That are made of the same material, which means that they, there's very little friction there. It's, yeah. But also the camera... <laughs> Might fall. The camera's higher than it has been. And so, uh, Patreons. Yes, this is great. Great segue. Great segue. So, if you want to help us solidify our studio, really help us find our look that we're still kind of in the process of finding. Yep. Um, help our health, really, because we know that standing is better than sitting. <laughs> um, and also, we don't want to die from like heavy projects falling on us. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Then you can go to Logo patreon.com slash logos podcast and yeah. you can become a monthly donor you can yeah. donate five bucks or ten bucks a month and all our contents up on that patreon page too so that's a cool platform to go and see our stuff on our youtube videos um but yeah we'd really appreciate that support you can also go to our website and as joey said any of our social media platforms we have a website outlined i do want to make a clarification there is apparently another logos an intruder Oh my gosh. But it's called Logos Project. We're Logos Podcast. So make sure you give in to the right person, yeah. to the right peoples, to the right project. Uh, so just be aware of that. Again, find us on TikTok, Instagram. Don't go support those imposters. Don't. Uh, who do they think they are? There's only one true Logos. I know. Okay? And it's us. <laughs> um, I was thinking Jesus Christ, but sure. That's fine. What, uh, we have TikTok. We have Instagram. Yeah. We have our website. YouTube, obviously. YouTube, Patreon. So Spotify, Apple. Spotify, Apple. All of these things. Check us out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, those are- Share, kind of share our stuff. Yeah, rate, rate us. Yeah, so actually- so look, I never wanted to be the guy that hops on a podcast or a vlog or anything. We're the guys. I mean, we're the guys we're, now. We're doing it. We're, we're in there, as some would say. Like swimwear. Like swimwear. We're really in there. Okay? And so, but it's really helpful when people go and, and subscribe, <laughs> click the bell, when people share our stuff, when people uh, like our stuff, even dislike our stuff, believe it or not, or comments. Like these things are very helpful to get traction, but also it helps us. Mm -hmm. Like going at the comments, then I can actually see what's going on. There's always going to be hate comments. There's always going to be praise, praiseworthy comments. But um, we prefer the praise. I don't really care. <laughs> So just comment something and let us know. And at least gives us some feedback as to how this project is unfolding, yeah. how it's doing. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's the thing. Uh, that is the thing. Is that the thing? That's the thing. That's Here the it thing. Is. Here it is. So we're going to be talking about alcoholism, not alcoholism, but alcohol use, alcohol use. and the church's stance and how she relates about it. She yeah. has a very interesting and fascinating history. But before we get into that history... Let's talk about some of our maybe personal experience and maybe why we're talking about it. You right? want me to go first? You want you to go first? So you go first. Why are we talking about beer, alcohol drinking? Well, we're talking about that because right? it's, it's omnipresent in the culture, obviously. It's, yeah. um, 
it's an important it's a it's an important part of human life and we're gonna as we're gonna talk about it's it, it's a good part of human life in many yeah. respects um but it also can lead to a lot of trouble um my own experience with alcohol i was pretty like i don't know what it was but i really made the decision that i wasn't going to drink anything until i turned 21 um and I don't really even know why. I was just kind of stubbornly fixated on that. Um, I figured it was a good thing. I I recognize the value now of like, yeah, maybe parents, it could be prudent to introduce your kids slowly yeah. and like maturely and prudently. I had my like, first beer at eight years old. <laughs> right. And so, well, there's something to be said for that. In like other countries, right? Like kids start drinking alcohol at an early age and they learn how to use it. My experience was I was all... Whenever I was confronted with alcohol, it was it was pressure from the outside, and it was pressure not to just drink al- alcohol and enjoy it, but to abuse it. So, like, mm, that's what sense. happened in high school, college. So, I was just like always actively resisting that. Yeah. And then, yeah, when I turned twenty one, I started drinking. I don't drink that much. Um, I I like red wine. I don't like beer that much. Um, I just recently this past year started liking bourbon. Yeah, you did. So now I like bourbon. Yeah, you did. Um, and I was just down. You're in, lucky. I almost brought a bottle in. I was just down in Kentucky and I had some bourbon. It was good. Mm, what kind of bourbon was it? I had it? an old fashioned. It was Woodford Reserve. So it was my favorite stuff. whiskey. So if anybody wants to give us gifts ever, that's the way to go for me. It was good stuff. Woodford. Yeah. So um, I don't know. That's kind of been my my experience with alcohol. Um, I've, I've, I've thought, you know, as someone who's going to be a priest, I know a lot of priests who just don't drink it. Not because right, right, not because right. they're um just because they're like, yeah, that's just a temptation, it's a risk, it's like something that I could be using to fill myself up as a kind of a remedy for something else that's lacking in my life. So or I'm, some maybe have had issues with it in the past, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so they've just made the decision um to not to not even touch alcohol. And um so I've I've considered that too because right. because my life has not been damaged without it like i've i've lived a perfectly like content and and full life without the use of alcohol for the majority of my life and but i think i think i think it has something to offer so and we'll talk about that so what about you what about your experience with alcohol so well to start off one of the reasons i thought we should talk about this topic was the fact that like there is uh some uh connotation with like the church being against drinking alcohol. Yeah. And I don't think it comes from the church itself because the church has been pretty clear in her history right. and in her uh, kind of, yeah, articulation of what she holds about alcohol. Um, but I think it's become from people who are trying to live maybe the faith well and have an extreme view on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they tell everybody to stop drinking beer. It's bad. It's a sin. When in reality, that's not what the church has ever really taught yeah. from, from her, uh, from her origin. Uh, but, that nevertheless, that does reign and that does impact some people's view of both how what the church holds and uh, the way that they should themselves treat alcohol. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that. I've sorry yeah. to interrupt, but I've been um, going to these schools, these high schools this year, yeah. hanging out with the kids, and they always have questions for me because they like don't know what a seminarian is. And one of the things they always ask me is, "Are you allowed to drink?" And I'm always like, "Yeah," and they're surprised. Yeah. So that to your, I'm point, drunk right now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> to your point though, the church, yeah, there's this kind of perception about that maybe we're like Puritans or maybe we're like yeah. uh like the Amish or something like that. And, and, and there's a, yeah, and there's different contexts, which we'll talk about again in the episode. Yeah. Like different different countries have had different kind of experiences with alcohol. But in general, one mm-hmm. of the reasons again I thought so, it's because like and I'm thinking about my own upbringing. You know, I've I've uh, only recently seen my dad drink in my really? life. Yeah, and he's not like against it. Um in fact, he's when my brother turned 21, you know, my my dad bought us a six pack, my brother and I and um and so, you know, we 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 shared some of it together. Uh but my mom I've never seen her drink and she's not, you know, she's not for it and there's nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. respect people's desires, own inclinations. You never know the history of these things too, maybe where family stand. But nevertheless, you know, it was kind of a, there's, there's a certain connotation of different cultures with this. And so I figured maybe it'd be a good idea to talk about alcohol in the church the goodness of it, some of the cautions when partaking. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but my personal stories, I'm going to keep PG keep for the PG. sake of all we got involved. Kids we do right? got kids listening. Kids um, who need to donate on Patreon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> my son stole my credit card and is now donated $5,000. We don't have enough for a house payment and he bought all the whiskey. Thank you. But he's Logos listening podcast. to a good podcast. He's got a great podcast in his hands. Um, yeah, so like, I don't know. I've had a person all kinds of experiences. I have good experiences with alcohol. I also haven't, right? Being in a, in a former uh, Greek life, 
you get exposed like to all college, kinds of yeah. things. Yeah. So like, it's just in college, like outside of even Greek life, like not to bash on that, but like, like you know, like the college experience, the university experience right. entails a lot of substance use, mm-hmm. both alcohol, drugs, and all kinds of promiscuous living. Yeah. And sometimes it includes alcohol. And so I've had both good and bad experiences with it. But the times that I've had that are really good, they really are yeah. uh, incredible. Um, now, my personal choice of drink yeah, is, your, is drink? probably whiskey. Whiskey. Yeah, right. Whiskey. Um, not a big, not a big fan of scotch. Uh, maybe I haven't been exposed to it. So I'm open to, you know, I'm docile to Scotland or Ireland for that matter. Mm. But uh, whiskey is kind of my go-to, as you mentioned. Word for reserve is probably one of my favorite. Uh, I started drinking Jefferson's a little bit here recently, and it's been pretty good. But I also do like a beer, like a nice beer. I don't like heavy beers. I'm sorry, but like Guinness and like hoppy beers is not my favorite. Mm. Not my favorite in the world. Um, I respect amber beers. Not a big fan. I like my, like a more lighter beer. Okay, pilsners, these kinds of things. I'm a big fan of wine. I love you know I like wine a lot. Chartreuse, not a big fan. Limoncello, all these all kind of cocktails, martinis, all this. That's yeah. kind of foreign to me. But like a nice, good old fashioned, you know, decent, decent pilsner like beer, a beer or something. Out of a can or out of a bottle? Bottle, because I'm not uneducated. Yeah, and okay. um, yeah, so. Preferably on tap. That's actually the way to do it. I think one of, the, yeah. one of the last beers I had was when we were in Mexico on the boat. Yeah, we did. Going through the canyon. Oh, yeah. And then I got sick. <laughs> you did get sick. But I don't think it was the beer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good. It was, so anyways, my experiences have been mixed with it, but all in all, it's been, it's been pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah. So setting the stage, that's, that's us. That's alcohol. Should we talk about, actually, you have some stuff to share about the history of yeah. Catholicism, the relationship between the Catholic Church and alcohol, which I'm actually interested to hear about, so. Well, educate me. So um, I, I will. I will do that right now. So I mean, there's a lot of historical things, and this certainly doesn't encompass it. Um, but I mean, you can trace the church's relationship to alcohol all the way to her very origins. Um, and p- to pe- figures like uh, Saint Patrick mm-hmm. in Ireland, right? It's one of his big evangelical tools. He noticed these people were drinking this ale stuff, and he kind of used it as a way to kind of teach him what it means to live a moderate life and kind of mm-hmm. practice that. And so it it, it kind of helped him as well as some other missionaries, right? to use this method of barbaric at the time living to bring people into uh, into a closer relationship and community and ultimately to our Lord. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But in the church's like tradition, she's always used wine in her liturgies. Yeah, which we'll obviously talk right. about the symbolism um, of that. And so that's always kind of had a, a big relationship in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's the, the blood of our Lord, mm-hmm. but, you know, through these, um, but also scripture, there's a lot of scripture to, to point to the evidence that our, that our Lord, um, at least had an open source at the wedding of Canaan, for example. Um, and so, you know, you see kind of wine being uh, something communal, something good, something even necessary, you know, Mm -hmm. the, our, you know, our blessed mother looks to our Lord, you know, and it's like, Hey, they have no wine Mm there, you know, they thirst all this kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, that's another kind of big, uh, starting here from, from the origins, but then like you have things like short truce. Which tell me what that even is. Chartreuse, I'm not exactly. And it's actually, the, chartreuse is a difficult drink because it's composed of so many herbs. It has like 120 something herbs that's composed. Okay, and wow. it's, it has like a secret recipe and it's only produced in certain regions. Now it's probably more commercial, but at least in its origin. Okay. And still, some of its, the most popular chartreuse is done in Carthusian monasteries. Oh, okay. Wow. And they themselves don't drink it uh, for recreational use. They do it for medicinal purposes. Okay. Um, but, so, the, but they probably sell it. They do. Yeah, uh, to yeah, support the... Right. Right. Um, and I'm sure it's been you know spread around now. And so, um, at least in its origins, deeply religious, medicinal, sort of thing. Um, and I know that like in the in Europe, in the medieval monasteries, like a big part of the things that the monks did to, as a part of their like aura et labor, like their work mm-hmm. would often be brewing like right. making beer sure right? so, so, so it would be like woodworking it would be like carpentry would be a big part of it mm. um, engineering like sewage lines at the time like they would have engineered a lot to kind of make sure their living is is um, sustainable mm. um, you know it's pleasant even but then ale and drinking and, and obviously like the technology of beer was largely developed in a lot of monasteries yeah. like you have like the Egyptian so you, you know give, give the Egyptians okay. the, the proper due for the, <laughs> the foundation of beer but you know Give respect where respect is due. Yeah, the monastic orders, particularly the Benedictines, um, different branches of the Benedictines, but the Benedictines in general are, are attributed to with um, and the Franciscans too, respectively, uh, for the development of, of the beer technology and producing it. Now, the wine industry has a very interesting relationship in a lot of southern Southern American company or Southern American countries, but also in the U.S. So, like for example. You have missionaries when they went to like Argentina, 
Peru, um, Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a, a priest from Argentina. Even this morning was talking about in your class, good alcohol. Yeah. yeah, good alcohol and its connection to the church in, in his region um, of Buenos Aires, um, Argentina. But it's like the church has always had a relationship. So she would send missionaries to places like South America. And and even when she sent them to the U.S., to when, you know, Junipero Serra, the Franciscans, landed, mm-hmm. um, there was three things they, they needed to know how to do. How to speak the native language, how to plant and grow grain to make bread for the mass, and how to plant and grow vineyards and grapes to make wine. Mm. Um, and so those are three essential roles that, that kind of the played in the missionary yeah. work that was yeah. interesting. As well as, I mean, obviously bringing the gospel uh, to the people, but like through these modes they of- They needed to have those Yeah, exactly, to, to consecrate the mass. And so those are some ways that it's influenced. Funny story here. Oh, actually, going back to Junipero Serra, later on, some of the- the mission work that he carried out kind of spread out in like California, right? out in California, right? And so um, later, um, some of the the kind of the spirit he helped build of wine growing um, developed Napa Valley. Wow! So there's a connection there wow. between the church and Napa Valley. Boom! Take that, uh, Napa Valley. So that's interesting. Uh, what else am I thinking of here? What about the pocket? Of yeah. The, yeah, you got to talk about so that. This is a personal story. I uh, One of the monks, Benedictine monks that, that I'm friends with told me, uh, I can't remember how we got on the subject, but he was like, hey, you know, our habits are perfectly fitted to uh, to enable us to, to pocket a bottle of wine. So what do you mean? So I don't know if you're religious uh, or if you're... Uh, Familiar. Spiritual, I'm not religious. No, you're right. Okay, careful. Okay, relax. Relájate, all right? But um, I don't know if you're familiar with religious garbs, but some of them are, like this one, like for example, like the cassock is a little wider and looser yeah. and longer. Yeah, The The clerics that Joey has on are probably not as conducive because you can't make huge pockets out of that. No, I don't have big pockets. Right? But religious habits, some of them are even more loose and, and long. Okay, mm-hmm. well, they would make pockets, right? And the way that they would do it, and so, and so, okay, so my buddy proposed this. I was like, okay, bro, you know, y'all come up with all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is this for real? He's like, no, seriously. Then I went to the guy in his religious order that makes the habits. And I asked him, how do you make these these habits? And do you actually use this technique? He goes, oh, yeah. And he showed me how he did it. Just like, like the, he's like, yeah, you just grab the bottle of wine and you grab a piece of fabric here and you circle. Okay, it's perfectly fit. This is the So you literally take a bottle of wine and fit the fabric around exactly. the wine. Exactly. And they just stitch it on the side, on the inside of it. Mine doesn't do that, right, mom? We got to get some cassocks. That can well, hold here's a bottle the thing, though. I, I mean, I have a flask right now. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But flasks do work for cassocks. But I'm just saying, this is, I thought this was hilarious because yeah. I, I didn't believe it. But apparently, well, and I, I was thinking, like, why I didn't ask why at the time. But a couple of things that come to mind. One, we don't know the level of persecution that that the that, like the monks uh-huh. would have endured in the early stages of the church's life, and there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. Maybe that played a role in it. Yeah, uh, trying to kind of hide the wine. It's not from, that they were drunks and they just needed right. To carry I'm sure that was the, the case too. Maybe it could have been. But but uh, but we like to assume that it was actually done for for sacred purposes. And yeah, so for right purposes. Uh, and so that's maybe one reason. Um, yeah, and transportation of, you know, if you can carry a couple of bottles of wine on you for certain events, certain social events, certain whatever, makes yeah, it or easier. Or to go celebrate mass somewhere else, right? Right, like, or sell them. Yeah. You know, you get a group of kind of monks, religious guys that aren't making a lot of money and they have to go kind of raise money for the religious order if they can carry more on them maybe. I don't know. So maybe yeah. a practical thing too there with that. Well, all the, so like all this to say, yeah, lest anyone thinks that the Catholic Church has a negative relationship with alcohol and like the Catholic Church doesn't like alcohol. Hopefully everything that Max has just shared is revelatory of the fact that like, no, there's a very, there's a close union. It's it's actually kind of stereotypical of the Catholic church that we we drink a lot. And so, um, it's like like the classic, at least in the South, the joke is like, what's the difference between like a Baptist and a Catholic? It's like the Catholic will look at you in the liquor store when you're buying something and invite you to the party. Whereas the Baptist we're not, you know, <laughs> about just what condemn. Yeah. Who condemn me or, yeah. or, or won't even look at, you yeah. know, so it's just like, it's like the joke is here. Like the, the, the Catholic is the one who, who drinks and is always kind of known for yeah. having a drink. Okay. So the Catholic church, we in the Catholic church, we appreciate the goods of creation. Yeah. We, we give thanks to God for the gifts that he's given us. And we'll talk about the good aspects of alcohol and why the church has valued it throughout our history. But first let's talk about like, okay, what is the church actually like? What are the problems with alcohol? Because we wouldn't just embrace it like really with anything. You're not just going to embrace it, um, you know, full stop. Like there are some, basically the things that we want to make here is drinking alcohol, not a sin, um, getting drunk, 
yes, that's a sin. That's that's right. when it that's when it becomes super problematic. Which so you know, um, you know, then that gets into discussion of like, okay, how drunk is drunk? Like, I, I was about to ask, right? yeah, like where's the gauge here? Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, that's the distinction that we want to keep in mind. And so maybe we could start by reading, um, we could read this quote from the Catechism about. Uh, this, this really the only thing we found about the catechism did. talking about the use of alcohol, this and tobacco, there wasn't much on that. Yeah. Surprisingly. So in paragraph 2290, the catechism says the virtue of temperance disposes us to avoid every kind of excess, the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine. Those incur grave guilt who by drunkenness or a love of speed endanger their own and other safety on the road at sea or in the air. Ah, so interesting. Yeah. What do you see here? uh, I, you know, I've never actually gotten in a plane while I'm drunk and piloted the plane. I've never flown a plane and I've never done it while drunk either. Okay. Um, (laughs) so I just thought it was interesting. Qualified it like at sea on air In air, and air, you know, it's like you're on a boat, just kind of doing your thing. But, um, so like it's just like avoid every kind of excess, and this is applied to not just drink, but like we we and most people know the rule of thumb: mm-hmm. you can drink not, but in moderation. You mm-hmm. can eat, but in moder everything in moderation. What moderation is, is the the part that gets questioned, right? Because different actions have the moderation at different extremes of the right. spectrum. That's a mean, here. right? Virtue right. is in the middle, right? Um, um, and so like that's where the kind of the the conversation really takes us when yeah. talking about this kind of stuff. Um, one thing to note here, so it's it's interesting to me, it's significant to me that the catechism, when it's talking about drunkenness being a sin, right? it's not just coming out with like a list of commandments, like thou shall not get drunk, right? Instead, it's situating, and this is what we do in the Catholic Church at our, at our best, I think, is we, we situate these um, particular questions about the moral life within the context of virtue, right? right? So it's not just the church saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The church is saying, no, what does it look like to live an excellent human life? What does it look like to be perfected as a human being? Part of that is having the virtue of temperance, right? This ability to the self mastery with regard to food, drink, sex, whatever it might be, so that you're not controlled by your desires, by your passions, but that you have self mastery. Yeah. You can use the good things of creation in order to um, benefit yourself, benefit others, benefit the community and offer glory to God. Right. So this, I mean, this is the ideal. So when we're thinking about any question in the moral life, any sin, um, this is what St. Thomas does, right. In the Summa Theologia, which is like, so genius. The approach is like, we're thinking about virtue, about excellence and drunkenness, getting drunk. The first reason it's a sin is precisely because it's opposed to this virtue of temperance, right? Temperance. It's, it's excess. It's an excess. And so, um, by engaging that behavior, you're um, you're decreasing, you're growing in vice instead of in virtue, yeah. and you're decreasing the ability of your soul to practice this virtue of temperance. And also, like you said, ultimately uh, human flourishing. And we'll talk about some of the effects of like yeah. uh, practicing drunkenness. But like another thing too that comes to mind is obviously there's a relationship with temperance. And when we talk about temperance, is has to do with like the control of uh, pleasure with with the discipline of pleasure, yeah, pleasure, appetites, yeah, right? so drinking, appetites. eating, these kinds of things, uh, sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but also another thing that comes to mind is prudence. Yeah. Right? Talk about so like that. Prudence has to do with the practical intellect, how to carry out things that I should be doing properly in a proper fashion. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about like, like, okay, then what is too much drink? The prudent man, the man who's kind of developed this I, this this practice, this this virtue in his life, knows when to do that, practically speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, for example, he puts and this is like I'm thinking in my hand, like, how does the what does that look like? Well, Let's say, you know, you're a guy that's hanging out with your boys, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, you know, your friends invite you out, whatever. You say, okay, I'm going to go to this party. I got to be at work at 6, 37 a.m. Right. I got to be home by 10 p.m. at the latest, mm-hmm. absolute latest, and I can only have two beers. Two beers, yeah. I can only have one old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like the prudent man knows how to do this practically speaking. Right. He lays out all the scenarios possible for that to happen. I'm going to hang around this dude or this girl because these friends know how to keep a disciplinary yeah. drinking lifestyle. I'm going to talk to these people in these conversations so that I don't go to the other extreme. I'm mm-hmm. going to stay away from the bartender and ask my buddy to go grab me a drink. Like the, the prudent man knows how to do these kinds of things. Right. You know? um, he's got this shrewdness, right. this practical wisdom. Right. Or, right. or like he's like, I'm not going to drink by myself in my room ever. Yeah. Like that's my, one of my rules, for yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like I drink, but like I'm not going to drink by myself in my room. Mm-hmm. As much as I wanted to last night when I was working on a paper and I was very stressed out, I was like, I'm going to pour me a glass. I was like, no, I'm not. Actually. Yeah, I'm not we'll, we'll talk about that. Right, yeah. and so 
And so when we're talking about when we're talking about drunkenness, is this kind of overboard? Yeah, it's also contrary to prudence. I it think. is. It's contrary to prudence because it, it ultimately what it does is it overrides reason. Yeah. Right. And so, like, the virtuous man is a man who lives by reason, who, by right who, reason, by right reason. It isn't limited to his emotions. We're not dogs, mm-hmm. right? I think Father Brett Brandon was talking about like if you know if you open a can of dog food to a dog, he's like crazy, and he's not going to know what to do. The dog's going to spin, you know, chase his tail, yeah. be happy, bark. But but the human being doesn't act like that mm-hmm. when there's a bottle of wine around. Where there's a bottle, right. we would say that's a problem. Right, it's a problem um, because his rational capacity is kind of hindered and wounded. Yeah, so this is, I mean, and this is the beautiful thing about virtue is that it gives you a freedom because if you're a prudent man, there might be some, some circumstances where, yeah, like three beers is okay, right? right. If you, but there, there's going to be others where you should only have one. Yeah, it's right? also like certain times, like if, if you've been drinking, if you're at a function, yeah. You're there for 10 hours. Right. Having two or three beers is not the same as having two or three beers in one hour. Right. So that's you why know? the church also doesn't propose hard and fast rules like, right. hey, every single person categorically, if you have more than two beers, that's drunkenness, that's a sin. Yeah. Right. Instead, the the church, Mother Church, like like encourages us to cultivate the virtues of prudence, of yeah. temperance, right? That allows us to act excellently what is it? Promptly, Promptly. easily, and with, with joy, yeah, right? With so joy. I, when I see, when I'm like confronted with this decision about how much do I drink right now, after I like train myself in temperance, train myself in moderation and kind of make that decision over and over and over again, eventually it becomes easy for me to be like, yeah, I'm only going to have two beers and I'm going to enjoy it and it's going to be nice. Yeah. And, and this has to do with beer, but this is again, temperance here, broadly speaking, yeah, with food, food yeah, anything. So like with pleasure. Entertainment, yeah. right? Like all exactly. that. I'm, I'm going to watch one episode right now. Yeah. And I'm going to easily be able to say, Okay, I'm not going to watch the next four, yeah. even, though if, even though it's a cliffhanger. This, this idea of, of binging yeah. everything that we do is part of like yeah. the kind of the consumer culture that we live in. Like everything we do has to be done just fully immersed. And if I'm not just in that thing, just mm-hmm. fully kind of enveloped, and then I'm not really. And again, it goes back to like, well, that's not a that's a proper life doesn't do that. Like it yeah. kind of learns to pocket certain facets of life in their proper place. Mm-hmm. Um, so prudent, yeah. so drunkenness, it's a sin. A because it's contrary to the virtue of temperance. Mm-hmm. B because it's contrary to the virtue of prudence. Yeah. C, we would say, you, you said, but I'm going to repeat, it debases our humanity, yeah. right? Because we lose control of that faculty that we have that makes us distinctly human, namely our reason, yeah. right? So when we become drunk, we're not able to reason. And that's yeah. precisely what it means to be a human we- being is to have this capacity within our soul to reason, to, so, uh, to choose freely and yeah. to know the truth, right? Yeah. And to en- enter into a relationship with others. So, And another um, thing too is gluttony. Gluttony, yeah. Right. So gluttony has to do, um, again, with... That's one of the seven deadly sins, right? It is. It's one of the seven capital sins. And so, like, that's another thing it does. It, it, it's, it's a sin of gluttony. Like, you're, you're accessing um, the, 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 the appetite, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, you're, you're going overboard with, with what your appetite is asking. Um, but there's, like, think, think about it, like, like, practically speaking. Like, let's say Joey and I, for example, are hanging out, me, me Joey, and a few friends, whatever, and Joey has too much to drink, you know, Joey could begin to be a very angry person very quickly. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know what I mean? Like, Joey could begin to be a perverse person very quickly. He could begin to, you know what I'm saying? Like, and this is the case with, with anybody. Like, sometimes one doesn't know exactly what's going to come out when you've had too much to drink. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about the rational, like, ration, like rationality, rationality being deprived, we're talking about, like, okay, Joey no longer is capable of kind of reasoning with me. Like, yeah. even if his... Even if his mom or his dad or his friends were like, "Hey, Joey, calm down! Like right. he's not doing, you know, this and that. Like he's not able to. It's difficult because yeah. he's influenced by this. Uh, uh, but maybe there's a situation where he's acting justly against us. But mm-hmm. like the way to handle it is not punch somebody in the face, right? Or go hook up with that girl. Yeah, but that's what you see happening. When exactly. Drunk, when, right? yeah. Exactly. When when a person kind of lives this this drunken lifestyle on top of picking up other habits like spending too much money, mm-hmm. or or yeah, like. Defaming the family name, mm-hmm. or or making himself look like a fool, or a professional, or driving right and again with this catechism is talking. Yeah. Yeah, right? So, and this is the other aspect of it too: is once I become drunk, once I deprive myself of the ability to exercise my reason, yeah, then I'm putting myself in a near occasion of sin mm-hmm. in many other aspects of my life, right? Yeah. So the question becomes: I mean, and I think Saint Augustine addressed something like that. Not this exact situation, obviously, because there weren't cars, but like. The question can show up like, okay, someone, a drunk, there's a drunk driver and he kills someone on accident or he crashes into someone on accident. The moral question becomes, okay, was he culpable for that murder? Because he was drunk, like he wasn't in his right mind. So he clearly didn't intend to kill that person. Well, what's the answer of like our criminal law system? 
It's like, yes, he was still culpable because he made the free decision to get drunk in the first place. He right? took all the steps necessary to get there. Yeah. So not only does drunkenness, is drunkenness in and of itself a sin, but it also often leads into more sins for which you are still culpable, right? Yeah. Because precisely because, so like, even if you wouldn't have con- committed those sins under normal circumstances, like if you had yeah. your right mind about you, you still consented and were culpable for entering into that drunkenness, yeah. which is the cause of those further sins. So all that, to say, and it harms you like your health, right? Right. So like, and that, I think that's another thing. And, um, so when we talk about like drunkenness, it doesn't, and when we talk about morality in general, it's not just like the ethical effects it has in the world. Right. Like we talk about all, all, all levels of like how actually sin like damages a lot of things. Another, another few things that it damages, it's like uh, the social well-being mm-hmm. and health. Yep. Physical Look, dude, health on a very- I've been hung over before. It's not pretty. No. Okay. And what happens when you drink too much? Well, you throw up. You, everybody knows the consequences of drinking too much. Right. Even in fact, some even prepare for it. Oh, I'm going to have Pedialyte next to my room. I'm going to have yeah. this and that <laughs> tablet, this and that. I'm going to drink this and that cocoa water or whatever. Right. Like people know, like they know what happens to your body. And so like, it's not good for your health either. Mm-hmm. Like it's really damaging, you know? Um, but also like uh, going back to the example, if we're having a good time and, and my boy, uh, Joey here decides to, to keep the party going. As I do. As you do, you know? Um, then it just gets awkward. Yeah. We, you know, like the community's ruined. Oh, party's over. Somebody's, yeah. you know, somebody's being an idiot. So yeah. Somebody's mad someone's, again. Someone's There's, peeing in the corner. Yeah. Here we go again. The old, old corner pisser, you know, is what we call him. <laughs> the corner pisser. Stop that corner pisser is what I say. Oh you know what I gosh. mean? Um, but it's important that we ha- don't have those corner yeah. people. It okay? is. <laughs> and yeah. so, and like on top of other situations and, and I can get out of hand really quickly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, unfortunately I myself have been kind of, uh, uh, have have suffered due to some some of the drinking uh, habits in my own life, formerly speaking, and so I know what the kind of cost can live to, and I don't know the extreme because some people do take it to, as I like to say, the H and L, the whole another level, <laughs> right? Some people do take it there, <laughs> unfortunately. Another level. But one of the things that I can also lead to is addiction. Yeah. Al- alcoholism, right? And yep. so, like, um, the immediate effect of, of most uh, sins is not. The extreme of that sin. immediate addiction, right? Right, Not immediate addiction. When we talk about vice, the, the vicious person is a man who has habituated himself in such a way that this pleasure, these pleasures, are like his consuming concern. Yeah, is everything that he is. Yeah, and he like can't live without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he like, becomes enslaved. Right. So like the porn addict will be like to the like the pleasure induced um, by the serotonin or the dopamine going through his brain through pornography. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or, or whatever thing, you know, have whatever you will here, but like the, the, the alcoholic or the person drinking, there's just, there's a psychological process that is hindered and there's a chemical process that's been damaged due to the overusage and the constant right. usage of these things. And so like when we talk about the damage to the soul, we're not just talking about like some hypothetical energy above me flowing at all right. times. Like uh, going back to some of our initial episodes and just kind of as a basis is that man is we call what we call a hylomorphic being. In other words, he's composed of both body and spiritual nature, bodily yeah. and or physical and spiritual nature. And so like man is, as one professor likes to put it, an insouled body. Mm-hmm. And so that everything that he does affects that for the good or the worse. Yeah. Right. And so what a constant life of drunkenness, you know, begets mm-hmm. ultimately is alcoholism yep. and it causes all kinds of issues. So many issues. And and it's difficult to kind of override these issues mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of therapies and there's all kinds of sessions, and a lot of money, a lot of mm-hmm. suffering happens amongst those stages. And I'm sure some people in their own life has suffered more with it than, than I have certainly. Um, but it all begets again, something that is good, taking it to an extreme, abusing that good. Mm-hmm. And then now kind of having negative effects. And this is, I mean, this is sin, right. Broadly speaking, right? Like, Everything God creates is good, and but what a lot of times when what happens in sin is that we turn to a creature, yeah, and we direct all our attention to that creature with this with disregard for the Creator, and we make that creature the thing towards which our life is now oriented. Mm-hmm. So whether that be food, drink, sex, another human, like even another human being, like when we're not ordered totally to our Creator, we end up making we make idols out of these yeah. these creatures, these created goods, which are really good, but they're meant to be used as means to our ultimate end, yeah. right? As means to enrich our lives and to help ultimately help us glorify God. When they become, like you said, our consuming concern, that's when we get debased. That's when we're not flourishing as human beings. And that's when our, our own body, souls, families, communities are going to suffer. So right. 
So um, drunkenness is a sin here. Drunkenness is a sin. Don't yeah. get drunk. Now, I will say, I have to add this caveat in there. St. Thomas Aquinas, Talk he actually you. says that the first time someone gets drunk, it's not a sin. Why does he say that? Because you don't That's actually crazy. you don't actually know the line, right? Oh. So until you know the line, then you you're not actually culpable for accidentally crossing it. Is this the case with everything? No, this is just not with drinking. That I, not that I know. Okay, of. yeah, that could be taken wild if yeah. taken inappropriately. Yeah, you're right. So, but at least with drunk now. So me personally, yeah. I'm not going to like push the boundaries. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see how far I can I get just, without getting drunk. I was just drunk. about to say, well, I'm glad you said right? that. Like, <laughs> yeah. But like, I, 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 I did find that interesting Said that he, uh, yeah. is, he's reasonable in that respect. Yeah. But so like, okay, so it causes, uh, it damages the soul by ways of gluttony, by way of, uh, you know, um, taking away or, or overriding temperance, prudence, prudence. but also it can be scandalous at times. Okay. Yeah. This is the last aspect we got to talk about. This is, this is important. This is the last negative thing here. And then we'll go into some of the, the goodness of the alcohol. Goodness of which alcohol. Is what we want to get to. Exactly. The scandal of drinking. Okay, so I'll put it like I'll put it to you like this, right? There's certain contexts in certain countries that have a a relationship with alcohol that is different than others. Yeah. Um, for example, in Germany, okay, beer is big time. Right. Okay. Um, Italy, wine, big time. Most mm-hmm. meals, even late into the night, even yeah. early into the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's wine present in, in Italian uh households and restaurants in Germany, beer, um, you know, in Ireland, whiskey mm-hmm. and every other alcohol for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the U S it's a little different, for example, like, cause there's a more Puritan influence, Calvinistic influence, um, in the U S which lends itself towards the, again, here, the median of action a little differently. Yeah. So the prudent man is going to take different steps maybe right. in America than he would in Right, Italy, Germany. Yeah, and again, going back to like, so like the like, there's a lot of Protestant influence in America, especially like the South, for example. So like, mm-hmm. drinking there is viewed differently within a Protestant context and like a Catholic context, right? Yep. And so yep. those have to be taken into account, or like you know, for example, um, your family su- suffers with alcoholism, and your grandmother doesn't like alcohol at the house. Mm-hmm. Well, that needs to be respected. Yep. Because the context of alcohol in the past has been when there's alcohol granddad gets drunk right or uncle gets drunk right. or, or you know grandmother whatever the case may be and so out of respect for the community here um it behooves you to listen to your grandmother's advice for whatever reason sometimes however it can be taken to an extreme too like your grandmother just doesn't want anything to do with alcohol and she doesn't really have a negative experience but still out of respect for the person or the context of what of which you find yourself in mm-hmm. the rules have to respect it because guess what that may be her house right Right, it may be her house now. If she comes to your house, the situation changes a little bit, and so I give these these kind of contexts because the situation of like going to I don't know a, a Baptist, a free will Baptist, for example, house and drinking something is going to be different than going to like a practicing Catholic homes mm-hmm. and drinking something there mm-hmm. or bringing a bottle of wine. Like yeah. different contexts that have to be taken. And so one can cause scandal, whereas the other one does not. Yeah, or with your own you know family, one causes scandal where the other does not. Um, so. Right. And so developing the virtue of prudence, again, is going to allow you to kind of read these situations easily and yeah. decide, okay, yeah, in this situation, I'm going to have a beer. In this situation, I'm not. And also, the virtue yeah. of prudence could allow someone, like, say you have a history of alcoholism in your family, and you might even be genetically disposed to that, like biologically yeah. disposed to it. The prudent person in that situation might say, I'm not going to drink at all. Like, mm-hmm. not even worth it. Not even worth trying to go down that route. So, yeah. Um, or, yeah, hey, it's Christmas. I'm not going to get my former alcoholic granddad a bottle of beer. Right. For his, for yeah. Christmas or whatever. Like, that's just because it causes scandal. And also, you'll notice it. it affects, um, again, the community. Mm-hmm. Most other people are like, oh, oh, this is awkward. Yeah. Oh, did he know? Oh, did he not know? Oh, he did know. That's even worse, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and again, cultural, you know, considerations need to be taken and talking to your topic about other countries being, having drinking at a younger age, that's also important too. In America, the drinking age is 21. Mm-hmm. It's not only that, it's illegal in America to, to buy and, and drink alcohol under 21. Um, in other countries, that's not the case. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. And some countries don't even have much of a limit at all. You know, right. it's kind of an unspoken rule. Um, and so that also kind of informs what's scandalous, what's illegal, these kinds of things has to be taken into account. Okay, let's talk about why alcohol is good. Mm, let's do it. Okay. I really am mad that I didn't bring something. But you also got to drive home, but I don't. I do have to drive home. So I wouldn't have had anything. Um, I can walk Okay, home. the goodness of alcohol. Um, we've already talked about this. It's it's the fruit of the earth, right? It's the, I mean, it's it's 
God's creation. Work this is why like hands. work of human hands. So like in the liturgy, for example, in the mass, when we bring at the offertory, right, the bread and the wine and we present them to the altar, what are those symbolizing? Like the bread is symbolizing the suffering and the toil and the hardships of man that he's bringing to the altar to be mm-hmm. transformed. The wine is symbolizing the joys and like yeah. the festivities and the, the happiness of man. Gratitude. Right. Gratitude, life. Um, so these are, and, and those images. And, and so both those things are taken by the priest, blessed, transformed into Christ, broken, fed to the people. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what Christ does is in the Eucharist in himself. Like he takes all these elements of creation, all of human experience, transforms it and offers it in gratitude back to the father, mm. which is in and of itself pretty sick. But, um, all throughout scripture, wine to warm men's hearts, right? Like these, like this is, a, it's an image of joy, of communion, yeah. of, um, yeah, of life, of vibrancy. And, that's, I mean, that's, that's divine revelation, right? So that's, um, and, th- and in my experience, that's true that like yeah. in festive celebrations, when there's moments for community, um, alcohol can be a catalyst a, in that, a catalyst. That's yeah. a great word for it. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned, um, you've had bad experience with alcohol. You've had good experience with alcohol. Could you explain some of the good experiences and what made them good? Yeah. And like what, mm. like how alcohol help with that? I feel like as you asked me that question, you've never yourself had like, I don't know, whatever it's like. So like, yeah. How did, how was it like drinking? <laughs> like uh, that's how I feel like, but I know that's not what you're saying. Um, good experience with alcohol. I remember one particular, um, the first glass of wine I ever had w- with my dad. So my dad was also kind of a, a recovering alcoholic for a time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he hasn't drank for many, many years. Um, but I want to say two summers ago, him and I shared of tercia of wine. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a third, of a, of a bottle of wine, um, him, myself, and I think my brother. Um, and we were all sharing a glass of wine and that's the first time I'd ever had a drink with my dad. Wow. You know? And I remember it like, we didn't drink much like that. Yeah. It's not that much, you know? So, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not that much. It's not significant, but that meal was one of the best meals I've ever had. And just having that shared, share that moment with my dad, it was really like, all right, manhood is present. Yeah. It's here. We're talking about whatever, you yeah. know? Um, it was just like a good time to be able to know like, okay, my dad's really grown as a man too. Mm-hmm. He's actually able to just have, and this is it. Mm-hmm. And we go home. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and it was just like, yeah, just like I could tell in himself too, it was like a weight lifted off of him. Like I can actually drink controllably and with my older wow. sons now. Wow. Um, so that's one of the good experiences, for example, that I'd take as many, I have a bunch of good experiences that I've had, you know, yeah, I've had many good experiences. I, even here, like we, you know, we have, we have a pub. Yeah, we do. Seminary. We have two. That actually. always surprises people. Yeah, when you tell them that. like, oh, they have a pub. Like, yeah, and it's actually we have beer on tap. Okay, we have Blue Moon and Guinness now. By the I way, didn't know that. Yeah, and we have all kinds of selection of beer. But again, you're not. Well, I'm not going down there and everybody's just plastered drinking right. and keg stands like that. Mm-hmm. None of that is going on. Like a beer or two, call it a night, chill yeah. out. You know. Um, so and, again, and like you yeah. said, I mean, this is one of the gifts of alcohol, and what, part of its essential goodness is that it does facilitate deeper communion between. I can't believe that I just told everybody what I what I did that one time. I I can believe it, and okay. I'm glad you did. Thank you, bro. Because it's Thank you. it's pretty funny. It's off my chest now. Okay. Yeah. Don't what? blackmail me or brownmail me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, alcohol facilitates deeper communion um, between persons. It can yeah be a catalyst for yeah um, really deeper love, and that's why like that's and that's why it is a symbol of life and love and joy and communion. And that's why like at the wedding feast of Cana, you know, like you said, Our Lady. They have no wine. And Jesus' first public miracle is to make a way too much wine, like way more wine than they As ever As one of my like, buddies used to call, he says, yeah, Jesus open sourced. I don't think that's exactly what happened, but it's close. <laughs> Just like an, a, a super abundance of wine because he came to give us life. He came to give us joy. Obviously, he didn't intend for everyone to get plastered at that wedding, and I hope they didn't. Some of them maybe did. Um, that's, a good, that's a good question. Did but we, everybody drink moderately after Jesus? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. We have reason to believe that even though I don't think it's explicit in the scriptures. That he drank? That he drank wine. I don't think so. What is this? So the son of man came drinking and eating, is that right? Well, yeah. So some of the Pharisees, so he, at one point he made the, the, the remark that um, John the Baptist came fasting and they called him, they called him crazy or something oh, that's like right. that. The son of man came eating and drinking and they called him a drunk. Yeah. Right. So maybe that maybe. meant 
wine. I mean, so I think on the cross he he received gall, gall, which would have gall, been vinegar, a mix of vinegar and, and wine. And that was like the fourth cup, right? Like the yeah, at least according to Scott Hahn, that would have been the case. Yeah. Um, so and other scripture scholars too, I think. But, yeah. Was, okay. Uh, well, anyways, it's left up to interpretation, I guess, explicitly whether that's the case or not. But there's certainly indications that point to hey, and I think Lord, I think. Wine certainly would have been a part of the Passover ritual. Yeah, and and part of the the Jewish culture in general. Yeah, in right? the Mediterranean, right? Area weddings. I'm sure living. Jesus went to other weddings. Again, yeah. that's not explicit, but we can assume that right. he was a partier. Those aren't. I don't think those are far fetched assumptions. <laughs> no, they're not. And being that he is so okay, here is the perfect man. Here is yeah. what humanity fully alive looks like. Um, if wine, if wine and alcohol is a part of his life, yeah. that, that says something to us. Sure. That doesn't mean like in order to be a perfect man, you have to drink wine. But it does mean that it's at least it's at least licit. It's at least valid, right? As a part of the human experience. And even a good thing. And even a good, and definitely a good thing. Yeah. Um, There's a quote by St. Thomas Aquinas that I wanted to say that I thought please, was funny. Please say it. So I think it's like when a person suffers with like depression or despair, I think it was maybe despair and anxiety. Yeah. I think, is, is that right? Or sadness. Or de- sadness, just sadness in general. Um, he says, have a warm bath and a glass of wine. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, do that. So this is the uh, this is the counsel that Saint Thomas gives. That's right. And I think Saint Paul, even in some of his, yeah. in one of his letters, he counsels maybe Timothy to have some wine because it's good for the stomach or something. Oh like yeah, that's right. Like it's a medicinal medic- thing. Yeah. Medicinal purposes or whatever. Yeah. And that's actually one of the big things with like wine, right? Like it's actually good for your health. Like yeah. A certain amount before yeah. you go to bed. Or Moderation. Something. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I just drink a gallon before I go to bed. Typically, just that kind of expedites the process of like <laughs> no cancer cells. Just like a lot. I can re- like Joey. That's a lot. <laughs> um. Okay, do you have any, like, you mentioned you never drink alone. Yeah, that's one of the rules I have. Yeah, do you have other rules that you try to, like, because I, yeah. I'm, I'm a rules guy. I like to kind of, like, create standards for myself. And yeah. Do you really? Stick to them, you, do know, you more or less. So you make them and you stick to them? I try. That's surprising. Um, I try. Okay. But, like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like, drink alone. I try to really only drink on, like, feast days. Right. Or, like, like mm. on occasions that merit the, the use of alcohol. So... If, okay, so if I'm drinking in a setting, typically I try to limit myself to like two drinks, mm-hmm. two or three drinks at the most. Mm-hmm. And this is like in a span of a long day, like two or three beers, I mean. Yeah. Um, and I typically only drink on the like Friday and Saturday. And if I drink Sunday, it's only a glass of wine is like all I have on. So like I okay. have little rules like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I leave it up to the, you know, I work all week and then I can kind of reap, reap the, the fruits of my reward, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by having a, a glass of whiskey or something. Also, just like for myself, like it's expensive. Yeah. So like, so like, uh, you know, a bottle of uh, Woodford Reserve in the area we're at is probably run you 45 bucks. You know, that's yeah. rye the way I like it. Mm-hmm. Probably for 45 bucks, 40 bucks. Um, and so that's another thing. Like I can't be drinking bourbon and whiskey all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, and they are different. And here's the difference. Let me just say just real quick, bourbon, whiskey, and uh, scotch. What's the main difference is the region of which they're made. Uh, so like bourbon is from, from Kentucky. Kentucky, right? And so the grain used, the wood used to ferment, all these kinds of things play into, uh, to some extent, the wood, or sorry, the taste that the that the um, alcohol has. And so when we talk about like... Um, uh, what's what's the other drink? Uh, I can have whiskey. Well, I just I skipped the scotch. Okay, scotch, Scottish, and so um, it's the same kind of mixing, but it's different. You know, different uh, different products you use in it, given the particular regions that they're from, and so it gives it different flavors and stuff. Yeah, um, and there's certain levels, certain alcohol uh, mm-hmm. percentages, certain mm-hmm. processes, double oaked barrel, single barrel. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of arts and stuff, and I am not qualified to speak about it all. And so I'm sorry to my whiskey connoisseurs or bourbon connoisseurs if I didn't speak correctly, but it's something like that. If you already knew, then you didn't need Max to explain but it. But if to you. you didn't know, if you didn't know, then maybe that helped a little bit. It did. I hope so. Um, cool. The, so yeah, see, uh, GK Chesterton, he has this, well, first of all, I got to tell the story about CS Lewis. Apparently he was, he, so he and J.R.R. Tolkien and one, a couple other guys, they, they formed this club, like they would meet weekly at a pub. Inklings, yeah. Yeah. The Inklings have a beer, like talk about philosophy, literature, theology, all this stuff, which it just would have been so cool to be there at those those meetings. Hey, real quick. There was a priest in our diocese who passed away. A few years ago now, maybe, and he saw Chesterton talk. This doesn't have exactly to do with CS wow. but he saw Chesterton give a talk in England. Anyways, that's cool. I'm going to get to Chesterton. Okay, but there's a story about CS Lewis. He and his buddies were walking out of the pub, and uh, and a homeless man came up and um, asked him for money. 
And C.S. Lewis gave him some money. Yeah. And one of his buddies, he was like, he said, you know, C.S. Lewis, like, aren't you, aren't you afraid he's just going to go and spend that on drink? Mm. And C.S. Lewis said, well, that's what I was going to spend it on. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I like this. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then G.K. Chesterton, I heard recently, he has this, he once said, you should only drink when you would otherwise be happy. So Break that, that down for us. That kind of flies in the face of what you just said about St. Thomas Aquinas huh. and taking a warm bath and having a glass of wine when yeah. you're sad. But basically, it's the idea that alcohol should not be a solution to your problems, generally speaking, mm. right? You shouldn't turn to it to self-medicate, to escape suffering, right? right? Like in the Christian life, we would, you would we'd say like turn to prayer and like embrace suffering and mm. offer that suffering to the Lord. Don't use, and this is, a, this is why a lot of people I think are driven to alcohol and sometimes even alcoholism is like it becomes this medication, this way to self-medicate, to cope with pain, suffering, whatever you're experiencing. Yeah. So GK Chesterton is like, no, alcohol is good and it's, and it can facilitate deeper communion. So it should only be used on an occasion when you would like, even if you didn't have alcohol, you'd still be happy. You'd still be joyful, yeah. joyful. You'd still be festive. So like on a feast day, right? Like when you're celebrating, I don't know, Easter or Christmas or a birthday or something with your family and you're already, it's already an atmosphere of joy that you add the alcohol into the equation just to kind of like, yeah, lubricate conversation, make things a little bit even more joyful yeah. rather than, okay, I'm sad. I just got dumped or I'm, um, let's a Drake in the background and have some Hennessy or whatever. Yeah. People do when they're just another you know Drake. That country song. Um, mm. people say I got a drinking problem. That's right. They keep There's, on talking, yeah. drawing conclusions. <laughs> they call it a problem. I yeah. call it a solution. <laughs> There's all kinds of country That's songs. That's wrong. That do, do not it. use alcohol. <laughs> My spiritual director, the first spiritual director I ever had, I was getting ready to turn 21. Yeah. And I was think, I was talking to him about like, okay, to what extent is alcohol going to be a part of my life now? And I was probably overthinking it and he was kind of surprised by that. But he was like, here's a good rule of thumb. Alcohol is never a solution. Alcohol is never a solution, he said. There you go. So when you're experiencing a problem of some sort and you think, I'm going to turn to alcohol to make this better, wrong. Mm. Alcohol should be used to, yeah, enhance already joyful situations. That being said, Chris Stapleton's song, Tennessee Whiskey, which isn't his originally, is still great. It's a greatly produced song. The message has some, you know. Is that the one I was just... No, you weren't. Oh. But that's a different song. Different song. But I just want to say, because Chris Stapleton What's is incredible. What's the song I just said? I don't remember the name of it, to be honest with you. Sorry, bro. People say I got a drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Do we want to say anything else about alcohol? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, okay, you so, well, just, just say, it's like, so, so some of the benefits here, I know we've kind of been all over the place with, with some of the goodness of alcohol, but like it's a community builder. Which is important because we're made in the image of God, who is a trinity. Yes. We're made for relation. We're made for love. We're made for communion. So... The fact that this can help us enter more deeply into that, it's a good thing. Sorry, go Some ahead. argue that it actually makes you a little more rational. Some say it eases the ability to think, especially, and I will say this, like I know in my own thought, like sometimes it also kind of breaks the ice Yeah. in some conversations. Like, mm -hmm. okay, before it was awkward to go talk to this person, now it's cool to go talk to this person about this and that. And the topic can sometimes take like a, like a good, I mean, at least my own experience is taking like a more... A, a deeper meaning. Um, is it a solution? I don't know, but I yeah. Think so, I've, I've so that's that. actually a good question. Cause, cause I've had that thought too. I'm like introverted by nature and sometimes it's hard to go initiate conversations. Yeah. And I've thought to myself, maybe if I had a beer, it'd be easier, but then I'm thinking, is that why I should be using beer or should I just like yeah. get out of myself and go talk to that person? But also it's leisurely to drink. Yeah. So like part of it is like, it enables me to go have conversation because it's a leisureful thing. It, it sets should. The tone, it right? sets the tone. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're the one guy not drinking something. I mean, for whatever you may which have has a been me many yeah, times, which yeah. which yeah, you may have a legitimate reason. You might also kind of feel excluded yeah. by what's going on, and you're rightly or wrongly that happens oftentimes when you know it could lend itself towards actually being part of the community in a way that you otherwise would not have been. Right, and it's not like every person, oftentimes at least here for sure, and uh, my other friendships, it's not like if you don't drink, you're excluded. But to be drink is to, to drink, you know, a little something with somebody just to, mm -hmm. to be part of what's going on already. And so again, going back to the context thing, I think that plays a yeah. deep role there. And so, you know, that's another reason why I think it's 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 a it's a good thing to do. Um it's also good. Just some some stuff is just so good to drink, dude. You know? <laughs> white claw sucks. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've never had a white which, claw. Which by the way, we have a lot of white claws in our pub here because nobody's just so like they've been begging us the last two weeks. Please, somebody, please. 
50 cents a can because <laughs> like Sam Sam by the way is a pub master here oh my bought so many he doesn't know what to do with it he's like nobody's drinking these things like yeah they're out of fashion dude you know we moved on to yingling girls. light or flight yingling flight we moved on to the I've new thing I've had those those aren't bad yeah well well okay they're okay they're just kind of light yeah which as far like, as beer goes like Bud Light like, yeah but not that light like I like light beer but that's a little okay. light you know Okay. Here's the other here's another benefit of yeah. alcohol. And I heard this recently actually. Um it was an argument for an earlier drinking drinking age here in America. Some guy was making this case. Okay. And he was said that he said that alcohol in a unique way is um provides a provides an opportunity to help to educate children in virtue. So huh. if you start drinking from an early age, yeah. You're gonna a. You're gonna start, learn how to drink well, how to drink responsibly, how to drink in such a way that it enhances. Which your is life why I'm a prof- professional you. drinker. You know what I mean. <laughs> right. But he said, "What's unique about alcohol is that if you have too much, if you go into excess, if you operate against the virtue of temperance, you're gonna get immediate feedback. Like even That's as a kid, point. you're gonna be like, whoa, okay, I went too far,' and then you're gonna feel it the next day. Yeah. Right. So it, it, so like I'm thinking of like a father teaching his son how to drink and like walking his son through like that's okay, assuming there's good role models feeling? right so that assumes like a family structure yeah. you know strong support system but yeah i found that interesting like i think there's a case to be made for that um in yeah a, in like a, if you never allow your kid to taste chocolate cake right and then you give him a chocolate cake he's, he's gonna, like gonna eat all of it right with his bare hands which is what a child does like a baby yeah you know just eat eat as much as possible that's a good that's a good argument actually yeah i know so i i'd be curious because obviously here in the states, like the college campus community, like and even just really young yeah, adults, point too. young adult social life, it's just like using alcohol in excess, like it's is the norm. I'm curious if yeah. that's also the case in some of these other countries where alcohol is introduced at a much younger age. I'm guessing it's not. I'm guessing kids. No, in I'm guessing fact, kids who have been drinking wine from the time they were ten yeah. years old at their with their parents at dinner every night, they're not as tempted to like go and binge drink on the weekends yeah. when they get out into the university or something like that. That's and I think there's there are statistics that prove that point. Yeah. I should have looked them up, but I think that's right. I think like other countries that have a drinking the drinking age at a younger age mm-hmm. is more is less prone to alcoholism, also less prone to like accidents yeah. and these kinds of things. Um so um, in regards to that. Yeah, so there's some of that going on in this thing. Do we have anything else we want to say? Uh, I don't think so. Nothing particularly. Um, I guess I did just, yeah. If if you want to drink something, something, keep it moderate. Yeah. I mean, it's like keep alcohol it is like, it's good. It's a gift of God. It's It's been given to us to enhance our lives yeah. in, in certain capacities. It's not necessary to minister to the imagination. And like any good created thing, it can be used um, irresponsibly. It can be used in excess, yep. at which point it becomes... Instead of virtuous, vicious, it becomes a vice. So. For yourself and for others. It damages and the, yourself and it hurts yeah. others, you know. And that's ultimately kind of one of the one of the big things with alcohol. It's a community builder. Mm-hmm. Um, at least one of the good the good things about it is, is that it is a community builder. But also I can also be a community destroyer. Yep. Um if it's if it's um ill used, ill guided. So mm-hmm. yes, have a good whiskey today. Um, have a wine, have a beer, chill out. Maybe today. I Maybe mean. today. If the occasion some. merits it, I would say. Yes. And, and you know, there's a lot of occasions that merit it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's kind of some of the church's stances, some of the just basic some of our thoughts, some yeah. of our thoughts on it. On it. Um, yeah. Keep it, keep it, keep it G. There's a cool book called Drinking with the Saints. Oh, actually, I'm glad you remind me that. Can I yeah. read? I'm going to read the reflection for the day. Okay. Um, which I took a picture of. While somewhere. you look it up, I'm going to explain the, the book. The book is, it was written by this Catholic guy who went through the entire year, the liturgical calendar, and um, found a, a cocktail or a drink that he tells you how to make with the recipe. It's quite that, the endeavor, by the that, way. Right. That corresponds to the saint of the day. So there's there's at least one drink for every day of the year. So if you're trying to celebrate a certain saint's feast day, for example... Um, you can you can go to this book and find like a, a recipe for a cocktail to to make it fitting, and that's that's really cool. It is cool. I will also say how accurate these cocktails are with the particular saint, and who's to say that these saints were partaking in these drinks or any drink for that matter is quite the stretch. That's and he true. actually he actually listened to an interview with the author, and he says he's like, oh, is it? Don't you think that drink attributed to that saint is kind of a stretch? And the author goes, the whole book is kind of a stretch. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but but it's a fun book, and it's and, and, and it's actually funny because um, some people, he, the, the author was saying that like some people, um, some people's kids had never had previous exposure to saints, and all of a sudden when this is right out of house, they're like, whoa, they're like, super bro, fascinating. Yeah, Our just, Lady of the Assumption, bro, let's go. <laughs> yeah, the White Lady drink is great. But I think that like that type of book expresses kind of like the church's stance toward alcohol really. Yeah, well. in general. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like, a good point. Yeah. Okay, so today's reflection, November fourth, Saint Charles Borromeo. St. Charles Borromeo, 1538 to 1584, was a giant of the Catholic Reformation, known in the history books as the Counter-Reformer, an Italian of noble birth. He became a cleric at the age of 12. Yeah, he did. His, his uncle was the Pope. That's, I didn't know that. Yeah. And a cardinal at 21. What? <laughs> As Bishop of Milan, St. Charles personally aided victims of the plague and did penance for the people by processing in public barefooted, by processing in public barefooted with a robe around his neck as he as he is featured oftentimes in Christian art. Wow. St. Charles is appreciated for his work in regulating the secular clergy and in founding diocesan seminaries. Shout out. That's what we're, we're uh, beneficiaries of. Mm-hmm. But he was also a titular abbot. Titular. Titular abbot, abbot of St. Uh, uh, Gratinian and Felinus, Felinus, sorry, in his hometown of Arona. St. Charles, uh, monastic responsibilities together with his choice of neckwear give us but one choice for a cocktail in this hour. And what is it? It's called Monk's Rope Coffee. Monk's Rope Coffee. If you want the ingredients, here you go. Four ounces of hot coffee. Mm. This actually sounds really good. One and a half ounces of Frangelico. Frangelico. Let's go. Our dude. Hey, go back to our episode on Frangelico. We didn't even mention the liqueur. Okay. Um, Half an ounce of dark cream de cocoa and two ounces of heavy cream. Pour the coffee into an Irish coffee cup, add the frangelico and cream, and stir gently. Float the cream on top. That sounds delicious. It actually sounds really good. And some of these, there we go, with cocktails, I think that's a good way to end it. Make yourself a cocktail if you're able. Have a good time. Don't sin. Be happy. Um, Repent. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, guys. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Logos Podcast. We hope you enjoyed something. We hope you took something out of it. We hope you learned. And as always, God bless. <laughs>